My name is Angela. My name is Nicole. And welcome to the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Hello, Stitchers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Ominous Stitch Podcast. We're back. We're back. Oh, yes. Stitch. <laughs> I love how quick and abrupt that was. Oh, Stitch. Let's go into Stitches. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, She's but it was so just so funny because I'm so excited <laughs> because I'm talking into a new microphone. A new microphone. Yay. That's Yay. my Stitch today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had to jump into it because I'm sure we've been sounding crazy back and forth. We were trying to, we're alone doing this. Yes. And so we've been trying to mess with our levels. So I'm so sorry if our mic levels have been crazy, but I got a new mic to match Angela's. Yes. So hopefully we start sounding a little bit more un- unified. <laughs> unified. <laughs> yeah. Unity. Our last episode was really clear. I thought that was really yeah. nice. We, my husband came and helped with yes. the levels. The sound engineer made us sound good. What? <laughs> What that happens? Like, do this, do this, do this. Okay. Okay. So um, hopefully we did it right this time. Yeah. Hopefully we did this on our own. So yeah. So I'm excited. Hopefully we sound really good this Yay. this episode. That's a good stitch. Yeah. That's my happy stitch. <laughs> what about you, Angela? What's got you in stitches? So I got out of my retirement pants and put on my performing dress. <laughs> retirement pants? I don't think you'd retire this, this uh, young. Well, I haven't sung in a long time. So um, I sang at a service. Uh, over the weekend and it was for it was for family so it was nice to you know come out and 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 sing but a couple of things that made me kind of giggle and those of you who are performers and like Nicole and I and a long time ago (laughs) long time ago one day one long you know people might not necessarily know that yes I have my master's degree in vocal performance and opera yes I was a voice teacher still am but you know I've been teaching since 2000 and I taught at you know major universities and you know I've used my degree I've had my career and now you know I'm Mostly a stay-at-home mom, and I take care of my wonderful family and my beautiful Aww, farm. Right. And I'm happy to do that. got some responsibilities. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So that's why I say I have my retirement pants on, because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of time to perform anymore. Um, music is kind of like, you know, on the back burner, which is fine. But it's still part of yeah, you. It's still part of me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I got to perform for the service, and it was nice. And there were people at the service who didn't know me. Mm-hmm. And what had me just giggling so much in my head is that one of the family members you know complimented me on my performance which is really nice and then he goes you know you should really do something about that (laughs) you should go sing and what you've got a beautiful voice (laughs) you should try out for American Idol (laughs) I get that one too I got that one too you should really me you should do the voice out for the voice or American Idol you can really do something with that you can have a career with just have such a beautiful voice (laughs) I love it. It's wonderful to get that compliment. It's so sweet. And I love that they think I'm young enough to like go out and start that kind of career (laughs) with their family. But it's just like, you know, it tickles me to know that I'm like, oh, you still got it. Well, oh, yeah, (laughs) I guess that's it. I still got it. You still got it. But yeah, but they they don't know. That's the fun part. Yeah, that's the fun part. That's a little secret that I get to keep in my head and be like. And in my brain, I'm going, that's really sweet. Aww. That's really cute. <laughs> like, and, and that's fun because you want. can just do it. Like I have to like whip out an instrument. You just can do it on the spot, which is awesome. No. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, you got to warm up. I get it. I, I got to warm up. But and you it don't does have, take a lot like, of prep. And I still get super nervous. Yeah. Because I don't do it that much yeah. anymore. And so it's like, can I still do this? Can I still perform? And perform? And it's, it's so funny, that crazy rush of nerves that gets you when you haven't done it in a while. Mm-hmm. Those nerves definitely subside when you're in performance mode and you're out there and you're doing it sure. a lot. It's just, you know. No, I, I always still got those nerves. Yeah. I just had to, I learned how to use them. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the whole key. Yeah. So I tell this to my students all the time. I'm like, nerves are your body's way of saying, this is the energy that you need to perform. You right. need to channel those nerves, center them so that you can use them to aid your breath when you're singing. True. I'm sure you use them to Holy aid your breath cow. when you play the sax. Yes, breathing was, all, I mean, that's all it is. It's, it's 
breathe. Like, we are both wind instruments. So, <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> yeah. Using, yeah. Utilizing how to breathe is, is a really big key of that. Yeah. Which I think is good in the long run because for you and me, that'll be kind of good to relax ourselves yeah, in a way, yeah, like learning how to, breathe. where to breathe. Yeah. There's a whole meditative thing that yes. I, I teach my students on how to channel that energy and use it for your breath. Support. Yeah. So yeah. do you breathe from your diaphragm a lot? Like, was that what you have to do a lot when you're singing? Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> like, there, isn't there, I know like, almost maybe launch into this whole big <laughs> thing that I, that I do with my students. Yes. So the yeah. diaphragm, I'm going to go, a, a, just, I, I get so nerdy about this because I love, I, I love the science of how the voice works as an instrument mm-hmm. and how you use it as your body and how the whole mechanism it's fascinating, works. fascinating, yeah. But the diaphragm is absolutely a muscle that everybody uses. You have to use it, otherwise you can't breathe. It's right. what makes you breathe. But understanding how to, quote unquote, control the diaphragm sure. allows you to use your breath in different ways and I say quote unquote control the diaphragm because this is like not at all (laughs) about a podcast I love it so because the diaphragm is an involuntary muscle like your heart it just works on its own you can't really tell it what to do so you have other muscles that you use to coordinate and help influence the position of the diaphragm when you're interesting yeah if anybody wants to have voice lessons, you know, <laughs> I can She's go got further all into it. it. So no, yeah. I, I feel you because when I would start with my beginning students, I'd make them like seriously lay down and yes. try to put or like push a pencil with their diaphragm. And that, I was oh, like, that's with, how with you their train abdominal it. muscles. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was like, that's how you start training yeah. how to get your breath from that. Because most people breathe from their chest, right? Yes. People, they they people, think they puff out their chest and that's where they get all their air, but it's Yeah. Not. Fun fact, you cannot expand into the upper part of your chest. Right. You think you have a full breath of air because you cannot expand there. You have your rib cage is connected to the sternum in the front and your spinal column in the back doesn't allow you to expand. Right. Your lungs are also much smaller in the upper part of your chest. So they, they can't expand that much. We think we're full of air because we can't expand. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere for our lungs to expand. We expand in the lower part of the lungs. Right. And when you expand your lungs correctly, it feels open. It feels easy. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel tight or constricted. All right. We got to move on because this is turning Speaking into like, breathing, <laughs> not breathing. <laughs> we are so off topic. And I really want to get into our topic because this is a, a really juicy story time today. It's spooky that most people might know of, which is cool. Yeah. And my favorite duo definitely covered this house. That's so, fun. so, but before we get into story time, story time we got to do stitch time. Yeah. Okay. So let's get stitching. Okay, Stitchers. So for this week's Stitch, I'm doing something different. I'm not talking about crochet. <gasps> what are you talking about, I'm Angela? I'm not talking about needlepoint either. No, what are you talking no. about? So my wonderful alpaca are getting shorn tomorrow. Yay! So in preparation for that, I'm teaching myself how to spin. Woo, woo, woo. Like so old I'm school. Talk about, I know, I'm so Super excited. old school. So I'm going way old school. Yeah. And instead of using a spinning wheel, because I don't have a spinning wheel. I have a drop spindle. What? A drop spindle. These are the Explain. coolest things. Okay. So a drop spindle kind of looks like a child's top, but it's got a really long oh. rod on the bottom. And okay. that's where the yarn winds onto. Uh, okay. Interesting. So what you do is you take, you can start with a leader. I start with the fiber itself and wrap it around. And then what you do is you control how much fiber that you're letting after you okay there's like a gajillion steps to get to it but once you align all the fibers and you have your roll rollags or you have your I know these are big fun I'm like I don't know these terms or you're roving that's another term for it so when all of your fibers are aligned and you have a nice long piece of fiber so I have some right here that I'll show Nicole Um, and then we'll also post pictures so you can see what these little rollags look like but do you see how, oh, how we pretty. have these? This is merino wool. It's not alpaca, wow. but this is what I'm practicing with. So but pretty. you guys will see these in the store. You can use them for felting It looks just like stuffing. Yeah. But this one's colorful stuffing. Yes. Did they this dye this? Like, yes. Of this course. is dyed merino wool. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> green sheep out there. <laughs> yes. Green and pink sheep everywhere. 
And so what you do is you pull a little bit of the fiber at a time mm -hmm. to make a really, really thin kind of Oh, but you don't want to pull it all the way. You don't want to pull it all the way. And basically all you're doing is you're twisting. You're adding twist oh, to this fun. fiber. So you spin the spindle, you park it between your legs, <laughs> and then you let the twist that you've created creep up the line of the fiber that's and then so it just cool. starts twisting all the fiber together what? to make yarn and so that's what I'm learning how to do guys I've I made a couple it. of balls I'm very inconsistent with it well, you're I've, learning I'm that learning that's so cool it's Whoa. so fun so I'll show wow. Nicole yeah you see what isn't that cool and that's your yarn that's yarn wow that's so cool step number one so I highly recommend you guys to learning try it. yeah go on Amazon I bought this kit I think it was like Mm, maybe about 50 bucks but okay. it comes with a whole bunch of yarn and a beautiful little simple spindle and see how it looks like a little top how long did that take you so she's got maybe like two or three inches worth of yarn how long did that take you uh it's pretty quick once you oh, get okay. going the main thing is is learning how to control how much fiber goes into the twist because that's what's going to give you your consistent I see. width of yarn that's got to be hard it's hard yeah you can see my first couple balls that Ooh. I made they're very inconsistent got a, one. <laughs> got a thinner one yeah they're okay. very inconsistent but yeah I love it that's it that's how you make yarn isn't that amazing that's it's so, so cool. Fun. You just don't think about those steps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You think about like you get the, you buy the, this, the bundle of yarn, the ball of yarn, but you don't think about what happens yeah. before it. So yeah, that's fun. So all of you yarn artists and fiber artists, go get yourself a little kit, get a drop spindle. I got to work on all my crochet today. projects it's very first. Fun. <laughs> it's very fun. I, I can't wait to make yarn balls with all of my alpaca wool. so wolves. exciting. And then make And then you sell them, right? Yeah, I'll sell the. Yay. You guys can buy my misshapen yarn. Are you gonna yarn. dye them? Or are you gonna keep them the same color? I'm going to keep this first set natural, but I do yeah. have four girls that have very dyeable fiber because they're, they're they're white, white yeah. to cream. Yeah, so that would be easy <gasps> that to would dye. Be fun. Um, I'm not gonna dye them this year, I don't think. Okay, but just, that will be a whole other thing out. that I'm gonna start learning how to Cute. dye the dye the fibers and and get that going. That's so awesome. But yeah, this is my new adventure, guys. I'm gonna make my own yarn. It's yarn so exciting. Artist. Like super yarn artist. Super yarn artist. You are so cool. Yay. Good job. I'm just learning all these really old things. I'm such an old granny, but it's fun. Taking it old, I love old it. school. <laughs> Good job, Angela. Yay. Well, yeah, you're going to have to show us finished products of your actual alpaca. I will. Yeah. Yes. From we'll, start we'll to finish. Pictures, yeah. We'll post pictures. Of Yay. This is them all fluffy because yeah. they're super fluffy right now. They are. They're thick. They're really thick. I'm like, are they fat or is it how much <laughs> of it is actually fiber and how much of it is just my thick alpaca? Oh, but that's good. Yeah. Thick's, thick's good. Keeps so, them. yeah. Well, I'll but it's share. Getting, getting warm. So you gotta. It's getting warm. Mm -hmm. We have a little pool for them, which they love. And yeah. <laughs> but they can't get in the pool. They have to stay dry for Oh, for to get shorn. Yeah. Boo. So we'll, we'll, we'll get play there. after. We'll get there. Yeah. But yeah, so go buy yourself a little kit. The one that I have is Dika. I just got it on Amazon. Okay. I think that's how you spell, say it. It's D-I-C-H-A. Mm. Dika. And it's a really cute little kit. They take, they teach you how to do it and how to spin your yarn. And you get all these like really fun colors. It is merino wool. So it's a pretty easy fabric or not fabric, but a pretty easy um, wool to work with to, to start spinning with. Nice. And then, you know, just watch a bunch of YouTube videos on how to do it. Get it YouTube. Drop spindles are really easy. You control a little bit of the fiber you spin your drop spindle you park it between your legs and you let that twist move up so the... you're like a, a different version of sleeping beauty <laughs> <laughs> i don't have a needle on my spinning wheel but nope. i do have a drop spindle fun yeah it's very fun yay, yay. good job okay that's it so are we ready for story time <laughs> let's get the story time <laughs> As I mentioned, yes. this next story time, I think a lot of true crime followers will enjoy this and already know about it. But, you know, I'll just keep going into as many details as I can. Plus, I'm going to go into the haunts. 
the so, haunting yeah. of. <laughs> I like that. I like uh, true crime is pretty gritty, right? But when we have the paranormal aspect into it, mm-hmm. I can get behind it yeah. a lot more. So yeah. there you go. All right. We go back to Villisca, Iowa over a century ago. <gasps> Very small town. Uh-huh. And we go to Josiah B. Moore. He was a prominent businessman in the small town and was one of... 10 children. Oh my goodness. One of 10. So many kids. So I have kids. three and that feels like a lot. Right? <laughs> 10 kids. 10 I, I can't kids. even imagine. And most of these, his brothers and sisters lived in Villisca as well, but he had seven brothers, two sisters. Seven brothers and two sisters. That's a lot of boys. boys. Those poor girls. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now, not much is known about his background other than this information. Sarah Montgomery was born in Knox County, Illinois in 1873 and moved to Iowa around 1894 with her folks and sister. She married Josiah Moore on December 6, 1899 in her parents' home. They had four children together, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. Now we hone in on Sunday, June 9th, 1912. At this point, Herman was oldest, so he was 11 years old. Catherine oh, was 10. 11. Boyd was 7. And Paul was 5. Oh, man. The Moores' children had friends, Lena and Ina Stillinger. Lena was 12 and Ina was 8. They left Sunday morning to eat with their grandmother after the morning Presbyterian church service, They returned back to church for Children's Day, which Sarah Moore, the mom, had planned. And then, these are the Stillinger girls. They returned to their grandmothers for the night. That was their plan. However, Catherine Moore invited the girls to spend the night at their home after Children's Day, which they agreed to, unfortunately. Oh, man. The Children's Day at their Presbyterian Church was an annual event, and as mentioned before, Sarah Moore had coordinated all the exercises. The event started at 8 p.m., All the Moore children, plus the Stillinger girls, participated in the activities that evening. When the program concluded at around 9.30 p.m., the Moore family and Stillinger girls walked home from the church. That seems like it's late for a children's service. Right. (laughs) For children's day. Yeah. Evening. It's like you should have it during the day. Right. Not at night. That seems late. I agree. I don't know why. I don't know. All right. It is thought they reached their home around 9.45 to 10 p.m. Note, because of the small trusting community in Valeska, or Valeska, sorry, many people did not lock their doors. Small town. Everybody knows everybody. Trusting. Yeah. There's a house. I know. It's so cute. Then around 5 a.m. Yeah. Then around 5 a.m. the next morning, next door neighbor, Mary Peckham, was in her yard hanging laundry. Around 7 a.m., she realized she had not seen any side of the moors outside to do their chores and the home was disturbingly still so she decided to come on over between about 7 and 8 a.m out of concern and knocked on their door oh no when no one answered she attempted to open the door but it was locked from the inside she helped them out by letting their chickens out then called josiah's brother ross moore to see if he could get a hold of anyone he had a spare key to their home. Mm-hmm. When Rossmore arrived to his brother's home, he tried first to look in a bedroom window, but didn't see anything. He then knocked on the door and even shouted, but his attempts were futile. At last, Ross found the spare key, entered the home with Mrs. Peckham on his heels, but she halted on the porch. Ross entered the spare bedroom off to the side of the parlor. When he opened the bedroom door, it was a nightmare. There were two bodies on the bed with dark stains on the bedclothes. He ran right back under the porch and told Mrs. Peckham what he found. And then Ross called Joe's Hardware Store, telling employee Ed Selly to fetch Marshal Henry Hank Horton because something terrible had happened. Hank arrived to the Moore house around 8.30 a.m., went through the house and found, as he told Ross when he had come out, that somebody was murdered in every bed. Oh, my gosh. That's so disturbing. Yes. 1912. What made the whole scene worse is that once the murders were discovered, everybody found out in that small town. So neighbors and curious onlookers descended upon the small home and law enforcement officials quickly lost control of the crime scene. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) They estimated that roughly 
100 people were in and out of that home. Oh my gosh. 100 gawking at the lifeless murdered Moore family and tampered with all the evidence. Oh my gosh, people. Even worse is what... Okay, that reminds me, and I just got to throw this in. Yeah. Like when I clean my chicken coops, my chickens like to quote unquote help. And so I'm trying to, (laughs) you know, get all of their old hay out and make a pile and then take it over to our compost heap. And then they jump in the pile and they start spreading it all over the place. Trying to help you. a bigger mess, trying to help. (laughs) Like that's what's happening here. (laughs) That does not help chickens. No. No, even worse is one of the townspeople took a fragment of Joe's skull. Gross. Why? Took why? a piece of bone. Dude, why? So morbid. But, right? <laughs> why would you want a piece of bone, man? Don't. The Velisca cool. National Guard finally did arrive around noon and to secure the home. But here are all the facts they could gather once they reviewed the crime scene taken from the official website for the Velisca murder house. Eight people had been bludgeoned to death, if you count right. Yeah. Presumably with an axe that was left at the crime scene. Side note, they found the axe in the room where the Stillinger girls were sleeping. The crimes appeared to take place while everyone was asleep. Doctors estimated time of death somewhere shortly after midnight. Curtains were drawn on all the windows in the house except for two that did not have curtains. Here, these windows were covered with clothing that belonged to the Moors. All of the victims' faces were covered with bedclothes after they were killed. Kind of like a ritual, they keep saying right. across the webs. Yeah. A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah. The chimney was off and the wick had been turned back, which I don't know what that really means. But I don't know what the wick old, is. Old time, yeah. old time stuff. I know what the flu is, but I don't know what the, the wick, wick is. Yeah, I don't know. If you know what the wick is, please email us at theominousstitch@gmail.com. Love you. <laughs> You're so fun. Okay, a similar lamp. It was found at the foot of the bed where the Stillinger girls lay and the chimney was also off. The axe was found in the guest bedroom, as I said before. There was blood on the axe, but there was an attempt to wipe it clean. The axe mm. belonged to Josiah Moore. Both ceilings in the parents' bedroom and children's room had gouge marks due to the upswing of the axe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. A piece of a keychain was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom. A piece of a keychain? No idea what kind of keychain. Okay. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table, as well as a plate of uneaten food. <laughs> this is like um, the John List thing yes. where he decided to stop Make and a have sandwich. a sandwich. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. The doors were all locked. Dr. Lindquist, the coroner, had found a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom lying near the axe. It weighed nearly two pounds and was wrapped inside a dish towel. What? <laughs> yep. <laughs> a second slab of bacon that was roughly the same size was also found in the ice box. So he removed it, left it. Okay. <laughs> That's a weird piece of information. What's missing from this list is that the murderer had searched the dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover all the mirrors in the house. All the mirrors were covered. Yes. Uh Piecing the evidence together, the state of the home and how the bodies were found, the police were able to determine that the Moore parents had been murdered first. The murderer entered the home while the Moors were at church and supposedly waited in the attic. Some sites state there were two cigarette butts in the attic, while the current tour um, website states that there were no cigarettes found. So contradicting evidence there. He already had Josiah's axe with him and patiently waited until all were asleep. Wow. That's creepy, right? Yeah. This guy had it out. Why? We'll get into it. Okay. Okay. I know. I I, I asked the same thing. Why? He used the blunt end of the axe on all except for Sarah. What? Oh, my God. And due to the state of each body, they were all still asleep when he reached everybody except for Lena Stillinger. (gasps) Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, quote unquote, lay as though she had kicked one foot out of her bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow on her right side half sideways, not clear over, but just a little. Apparently, she had been struck in the head and squirmed down in the bed perhaps one-third of the way. 
But due to the evidence, it is believed Lena had been awake when the murderer made it to her room because she had an alleged defensive wound on her arm. Her mm. nightgown was also pushed up and was left exposed, no underwear, mm. and a blood stain was on her knee. But doctors concluded Lena was not sexually abused. Oh, my gosh. I thought it, I know, I know. I was like, <gasps> it's going somewhere I don't want it no, to. No, thankfully, okay. they, they checked. So that's good. But still weird. Yeah. Morbid. And to make the gruesome event even more morbid, <laughs> it is believed after the killer finished with the Stillinger girls, he went back upstairs to systematically bludgeon each victim's heads even more until they were unrecognizable, each receiving 20 to 30 blows. Holy crap. Why? I This person is deranged very deranged oh my gosh uh, police discovered one of sarah's shoes that was on josiah's side of the bed the shoe was found on its side however it had blood inside as well as under it which shows that after killing everyone he did indeed return to deliver more blows and subsequently knocked the shoe over that's how they were able to tell then after the brutal murders, he most likely washed his hands in the bowl of water and thought of eating, but nope, may have lost his appetite, but who knows. We do know he had the house keys, locked the doors on the way out, and was on his merry way. Dude. And this was like a newspaper clipping that yeah, everybody posts yeah. about it. Oh, man. It wasn't until after 10 p.m. that the undertaker was allowed to move the victims in the Moore house, and they transported them to the fire station as a temporary morgue. The Moore-Stillinger funeral services were held in Villisca's town square on June 12, 1912, and thousands were in attendance. They were buried in the Villisca cemetery. Now, who committed such gruesome murders? Right? Who? Before we dive into suspects, okay. note that nine months before the murders at Villisca, a similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Really? Where H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were all found murdered with an axe. Dude. Their bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent <gasps> anyone from looking in, just like the Moore home. And the murderer in Colorado Springs wiped blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes. Oh, is it the same guy? We assume. Oh, we can only assume. Gosh. Then, two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas, and Paola, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise a possibility of having been committed all by the same person. Dude, this person has a special place in hell. Yeah. That. Oh my gosh. Axe murder. Uh, we go back to Velisca now. <laughs> like mad. <laughs> Good. You should be. Now, police brought in bloodhounds to the Moore home to search for any trace of the killer, but they had no success because, of course, the townspeople basically demolished the crime scene. Yeah. Thanks, people. Gosh. However, a few sus suspects had been named over time. One prominent suspect was Iowa State Senator Frank F. Jones. Why? Crazy, right? <laughs> now, Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at the Jones store selling farm equipment for roughly seven years before Josiah left and opened his own rival shop in 1908. So let's bludgeon this family to death so I Seriously? don't have competition. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Jones was very upset before because when Moore left, he managed to take the very lucrative John Deere franchise with him. Good for Josiah. Yeah. <laughs> there was also a rumor that Josiah had an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, Dona, but the reports were unfounded. Some found it hard to believe Frank would have murdered the entire Moore family over work conflicts, right? Yeah. However, the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City and Detective James Newton Wilkerson believed that Frank hired William Mansfield of Blue Island, Illinois, to murder the Moors. They had this inkling. Mansfield, a.k.a. George Worley and or Jack Turnbaugh, he went by a few names, had a sordid past. It was believed he was a cocaine fiend and serial killer. Two years after the Velisca axe murderers, Detective Wilkerson believed that Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, 
infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois, uh, on July 5th, 1914. Uh, and the murders were committed in precisely the same manner as the Moore home murders. Mansfield's family was were each hacked to death with an axe. All mirrors in the home were covered. Dude. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murder washed was found in the kitchen. Yeah. So, okay, but that murder happened after. Two years after. Two the years Beliska. after. So maybe he could have just copycatted True. it, you know. True. Because it, it was after It would have been more believable if that happened first and then the Velisca thing happened. Right. But... Oh, but it's the same. Dude, but still over Why would you do that? Overwork, over competition. Like come But maybe on. he was like this because he was a serial killer, just was like, Oh, let's have some fun because uh, I want to do it, you know? You never know. Yeah, but the but governor, the guy hiring, yeah. Like, the state senator yeah. or yeah. the senator, yeah. Dude. Yeah. That's kinda silly. Now there were no fingerprints found at that family's murders due to most likely wearing gloves, but supposedly Mansfield knew his fingerprints were on file. At the federal military prison at Leavenworth. So the same thing. They couldn't find mm-hmm. any fingerprints at the Moore house either. Right. In 1916, Detective Wilkerson convinced a grand jury to open an investigation on Mansfield, causing his arrest and was brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Alas, uh-huh. payroll records provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Velisca murders. Okay. He was released and even won a lawsuit against Wilkerson. So <sighs> suspect won. Yeah. He's been axed. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Ayo. Ayo. With Mansfield and Jones no longer on the suspect radar, next up was Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. A traveling preacher. (laughs) I know. Most people go by Jacqueline Kelly, but that was his full name. Yeah. A traveling preacher, an English immigrant. He was supposedly known to be a sexual deviant and had Mm. mental problems. So he suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent and spent time in a mental hospital later in life. Kelly admitted to being in Villisca the night of the murders and to look even more suspicious, hopped onto the 5 a.m. train the next morning. On the train, he told fellow travelers that, quote unquote, there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept. But at that point, bodies... Nobody had known. Nobody Had knew. not been discovered. Yeah. So how did oh, he know? Because he did it. Even though being small framed, there were a few factors that made police believe he fit the culprit. You're going to love this. For example, Kelly was left-handed. Yay, lefties! (laughs) Woo-woo! But based on the blood splatters, they thought the killer had to be left-handed as well. Oh, interesting. Also, Kelly knew the Moore family and townsfolk said Kelly would watch them while at church and while they were out in the town. Okay. So who's watching so him like watching spying. them? Yeah. Well, <laughs> because it's a small town. Yeah, Everybody knows Everybody what's knows going everything. on. Yeah. Yeah. A dry cleaner came forward from a nearby town that said they received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murders. Oh, well, geez. This is all like, yes, it was him. Come on. What more evidence do you need? Right. I'm convinced. <laughs> Got you convinced. Well, two weeks later, Kelly returned to the Moore home, posed as a Scotland Yard officer, and then joined a tour of the house with a group of investigators. Oh, my God. That he's very so, fascinating, right? Crazy. He's very crazy. In 1917, a grand jury indicted Kelly for Lena Stillinger's murder. And while in jail awaiting trial, he was interrogated throughout the summer. After so much prodding from the police, Kelly signed a confession letter for the murders on August 31st, stating God had whispered to him to suffer the children to come unto me. Oh, dear Lord. But then when Kelly was on trial, he recanted his confession and the case went to the jury on September 26th. The jury deadlocked 11 to 1 for acquittal. So a second jury was immediately impaneled, but they acquitted Kelly in November of 1918. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. Why? (laughs) I'm so mad. This is so upsetting. It's so upsetting. So he went off. Oh, so people, I feel like people are like, they point at him. A lot of websites, they, they yeah. like, think it's him, yeah, but the some movie don't. pointed at him too. The movie definitely yeah. pointed at him. 
And then there was Henry Moore, no relation to Josiah Moore. Okay. Federal officer M.W. McClary thought that oh, that was a, he was assigned to the Velisca case announced May 1913 that he believed he had solved not only the Velisca murders but 22 others that had been committed <laughs> in the Midwest in the same time frame and pointed his finger at Henry Moore. Fitting the theme, months after the Velisca murders, Henry Moore was convicted of murdering his mother and maternal grandmother in Columbia with you guessed it. An axe. An axe. Why are people murdering people with axes? That I think so it's like guns at this time. You know, the guns are everywhere. I think axes, axes were are the everywhere. thing. Yeah, because you got to chop firewood. Yep. Got it. Farm. Oh. Farm life. He was caught for this and served 36 years of a life sentence before being paroled by the governor of Missouri on December 2nd, 1949. McClary received information about Moore's conviction from his father, who was a warden of the Leavenworth, Kansas Federal Penitentiary. And even though McClary tried to tell everyone, it was largely ignored. Mm. So who knows? No, it was the Reverend Kelly. I mean, that is so... He obviously was obsessed with the family. Mm -hmm. He freaking went back. He went back. Proposed as a cop just to go through the house. <sighs> it's so That's creepy. gross. Yeah. I feel it in my soul. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel it in my fingers. <laughs> I feel it in my toes. It's him. Like, it was him. If you agree with me. <laughs> you're yelling, you're funny. I'm so passionate I'm about so this. I'm so mad. No. But it's yeah. so, it was Reverend Kelly. Come on. I don't know. I can't. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. It was nobody else. The other Ugh. people were copycats. It was him. But there's so many axe murderers out there. Isn't that crazy, though? But, yeah. Yes. That is crazy that there were a lot of different people that and all had the same, same MOs too with the whole, like the way they did it. That's what's crazy. And Kelly didn't do, I don't think Kelly did all those, but the, he did the Moors. <laughs> you're convinced. I am. There's, I, I don't know. Are you putting, are there other people? No. Okay. No, I was going to say my last part about this is I could go on and on about all the accusations that were thrown left and right about so many other suspects that uh -huh. were transients, hobos, confessions on deathbeds. People were like, oh, this person did it. It was like a priest. This person did it. No. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why there were copycat murders after the, this was a very, very famous case. Right. Obviously, it's still super famous now. So, of course, people wanted to leave their mark and copycat it. There's a lot of copycats, mm -hmm. I'm sure, that happened after this. And a lot of people wanting to take credit for it so they could, like, maybe make their name live on through time or mm -hmm. whatever. It's Reverend Kelly. <laughs> but a nine million months, percent. Like I said, though, nine months before this, there were the axe murders in Colorado, that exact same MO. Well, if he's a traveling preacher. You think he was in Colorado before then? Maybe. Do we know if he was in Colorado Doesn't before say. then? See, if he's a traveling preacher, I think it's his M.O. I, I, ugh, he did it. I, it's him. Like, there's no, I don't see any other way. <laughs> You're so funny. It had to have been him. I don't know. But yeah. the fact that it remains that this to this day, there's no concrete evidence of exactly who murdered the eight innocent souls in Villisca on June 9th, 1912. Because the town interfered too much yep. and because people were too afraid to convict a preacher because some reason it messed with their consciousness. The reverend, like, yeah. I can't, I can't convict a man of God. I am sure that that's why they chose not to convict him. I cannot convict a that man of be. God. That could be. Yeah, that's a good good uh reason uh in the night in the early 1900s yeah and everyone's very religious in the bible belt yeah yeah they're not going to convict a man of god i'm you so are. mad <laughs> <laughs> you are so sure i about am this. like You're fired amazing. up it it was it's him if you guys have your own opinions please email us at the ominous stitch at gmail.com i want to know what you think but yeah, i'm a actually, million percent we hear convinced you can also jump on any of our socials and let us know there. But I am a million percent convinced. <laughs> I'm Team sure. Kelly. It's it's him. Creepy. Oh, he seems like he has the the personality and the patience to wait. His brain just snapped. If he no, he's been he's crazy. He's been planning it. Mm. I, he was stalking the family, True. and so he, he knew, knew where, where they, they were. would be. Um, so he knew that when his opportunity would be, and like, I think this is just what it's, it fits his, 
personality. It fits his Spooky. MO. It's him. It's him. It's him. I cannot be convinced otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so disturbing. It I is. I hate it so it's much. It's very spooky, though. And sad, for sure. Yeah. Poor family. Yes. After the murders, the Moore home was boarded up and remained in estate until 1915 when it was purchased by J.H. Giesman. After this, the home went through multiple owners, including the Velisca State Savings and Loan. By 1994, Rick and Vicki Sprague owned the home, but Darwin Lynn, a real estate agent who owned and operated the Olson Lynn Museum, contacted the Sprague's in hopes to purchasing the old Moore home. Thankfully, before the property was to be demolished, they, oh. yeah, they allowed Lynn to purchase the home and obtain the necessary funds to restore the home to its original condition when the Moores had owned it. Whoa. Once ready... The Lens opened the home to tours as well as overnight stays. Oh, hey. The price for a daytime tour, $10 per person, 12 and up. Hey. $10. I'll pay that price. And no need for reservations. Oh, okay, cool. But if you wish to stay overnight, it is reported to cost roughly $400. That, yeah. That that makes makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, note that there have been an overwhelming number of paranormal reports from this home, from disembodied footsteps, objects moving, whispers, voices, apparitions, shadows, terrible vibes, just so much. Yeah, I bet. Anna Hyder of Roadtrippers.com posted a photo of the corkboard inside the old home with photos which captured paranormal phenomena most of them are orbs but there's even one where someone claimed to have had their back scratched by an unseen entity the house has been visited from every paranormal show from ghost adventures to scariest places on earth and just like your buzzfeed unsolved author sensitive and paranormal investigator molly roland wrote an article for horrorobsessive.com about her night with a paranormal investigative team in the in the home as soon as the team arrived and she stepped inside the home she immediately was greeted with a breathy high in her right ear (gasps) when she jumped (laughs) and turned to see who it was no one was there oh hi that night, when they started the investigation, the team, the entire team noticed a small ball of light rise through the floorboards in the upstairs more children bedroom, and the globular mass moved in these figure eight patterns before dissipating back into the floor. Ooh. I, I, I would be so fascinated to see that. Yeah. Like a little moving like, around. But figure eight, that's a sign yeah. of eternity. Is it really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and then it disappeared. Or infinity. I'm infinity, sorry. Infinity, right? yeah. Some of the team then decided to visit the attic, but the Ro- but Roland's intuition told her not to go in there. Oh, that's where the bad man lives. The yeah. other team members witnessed some visual craziness. They didn't explain any more about just visual, just visual craziness. Visual craziness, okay. That caused all the color to drain from their faces, voices to stutter, and hands tremble after that they all needed to take a quick break outside to get some air and she was glad she didn't go into the attic yeah once they gathered themselves they set up in the kitchen to use their k2 meter which is a meter to detect spikes and electromagnetic energy with light indicators Mm -hmm. the team led uh, the team lead was facing the pantry seats uh wait sorry the team lead was facing the pantry while they started asking questions But then they asked Roland to change seats so that she was staring into the pitch black pantry. (laughs) After the K2 meter started going off, Roland described seeing an otherworldly shadow man appear from the right side wall of the pantry. It was huge. It was ominous. And it was darker than the dark that was already present. When the shadow approached Roland, she shouted no because she was she felt that it was coming at her to take over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to tell him no. No. Yeah. She said no, which startled the other teammates. Then the team lead responded with, oh, you saw it, too, huh? (laughs) That's why he changed suits. What a jerk, man. That's so not cool. That's so mean. That makes me so mad. That's not cool, dude. Yeah. Roland proceeded to get up. 
and smudge herself in the home for a third time. She had already done it twice. Yeah. Roland wanted to stop and go home, but decided to finish up the investigation with the team and entered the room where the Stillinger girls were murdered. That At- seems like it should be a more peaceful, calm room. I think those are no. no? Kind of. Okay. As they were asking questions, Roland watched a little girl's skirt with no feet walk out of the pantry door and directly up to their side, to her side. Yeah. That's when she noped it out of there. Yep. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs> She's nope. like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. She recaps that she slept for four solid days when she returned home and couldn't speak of that night for weeks. Dude, too much of her energy was yeah. used. Oh, the poor girl. Yeah. Now, even Martha Lynn, owner of the home, mentioned this about it. I feel like there's something there. If indeed there are spirits, you have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderer still exists there, but there have been a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming, but I don't like to dwell on it. (laughs) The owner. Allison Oz, oh, Allison Oborn, I think that's how you say her name, wrote about her experience in the Velisca Axe Murder Home on AdelaideHauntedHorizons.com. She mentioned that her tour guide, which I'm going to talk about him soon again, the building's caretaker and local paranormal investigator Johnny Hauser, had many of his own experiences in the home, such as hearing footsteps on the floor above him when no one else was in the home. He had conducted over 400 solo investigations, and his conclusion was the house seems to mess with people. Okay, yeah. (laughs) And I'll go into that a little more, too. Also, a lot of EVP have been captured, and they believe it's always children voices, but never the parents. After he felt strange things happen in his own home and his own wife, who was a non-believer, Hauser said no more investigations in the Moore home. So he started done. He started having them follow him, but he still does tours. He just doesn't do overnights anymore there. Yeah, yeah. Because he's a caretaker. Yeah. Professional ghost hunter Jeff Scott Cole and his partner Jonathan Robson stayed the night in the Velisca Axe murder home in 2015 and were able to capture some chilling EVP of children that I'm going to play for Angela. We're going to link this to. Oh, I got chills everywhere right Mm -hmm. now. I got to shake them off. <laughs> shake them off. Shake them off. Shake them off. Lastly, yes. I want to delve into a rather morbid event that occurred in the Velisca Axe Murder Home that took place in 2014. I think I know what this Yes, story you do. Is. This story unfolds from the caretaker Johnny Hauser's perspective told on the Extremes, a Vice podcast episode. Johnny recalled greeting an older man he guessed in his 50s with his elderly parents for a tour and guessed, an, I'm guessing it's an overnight stay. The guy was wearing camo pants and had a hunting knife attached to his belt. The guy coming in basically told Hauser that he was going to give the house a piece of his mind. Mm-hmm. Hauser didn't think much of it, let them be, and went home to bed. But then the next morning upon waking up, he noticed his name tagged all over social media with headlines stating, Man stabs himself at axe murder house. Mm-hmm. So Hauser rushed to the home and had some friends meet him because he didn't want to be alone in that situation. Yeah, I don't blame him. Nope. Smart man. Yep. He walked in and immediately saw in the kitchen a little teddy bear wrapped up in a blanket. He commented that lots of people bring dolls and toys as tokens for this kid for the kids, so it yeah. is a normal thing to see. Yeah. But unfortunately this teddy was covered in blood. And his initial thought upon the site was not again, not again in this house. Oh, man. So after cleaning that area with bleach and a towel, he just kind of poured bleach and kicked a towel around, apparently. Oh, <laughs> didn't want to that's touch not it. how to clean, though. Nope. <laughs> Martha Lynn came in and was crying. She asked if they should shut down because it was supposed to be fun. But Hauser said that they would have people breaking in because of rumors that the home was too haunted. So he said they should keep going. Yeah, that's that's actually smart. Right, right. Yeah, because then you're going to have a lot of vandalism, right? Yeah, yeah. Then he found out that the man that prior night had been in the home by himself trying to conduct a solo investigation in the kid's bedroom. Here is where his parents had found him with the knife shoved through his chest. They airlifted him to a hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, and thankfully the man had survived. 
Wow. But that was all Hauser could piece together of that crazy night. He wanted to reach out to the guy, but never did. But then a few years later, a TV show called Kindred Spirits asked to film at the home. The producers of the show had convinced the guy to come back and revisit the home <gasps> where he stabbed himself. Oh, what? Oh, no. Right? <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> then one day while Hauser walked into the barn with all the show's equipment, he happened to find the guy in there as well. Oh. He sat down next to him and said, I have a million questions for you. Yeah, I bet. First question was why he brought the knife. Yeah. And the guy responded that, very Midwestern, he typically has carried handguns on him, concealed handguns on him, uh -huh. but didn't know the laws in Iowa, so he brought a knife instead. <laughs> Gotta have that protection. What, for, from what? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I you don't, don't need that. You don't need it. I'm no. sorry. Then after asking the big question of what happened that night. Uh-huh. The guy told a story the best he could. And I'm sorry, I didn't say, mean to say mid all Midwesters, but I noticed that on the West Coast and East Coast, most people don't carry concealed weapons. Yeah, it's not it's not something. Yeah. Yeah. But I see it more often in, in the Midwest, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the laws are also more lax in those sure. states as well. So yeah. in so California, we have, even though we have a lot of gun violence. Oh in my gosh, we have so much. Um, yeah, we have a lot of road rage. It's creepy. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that was, we digress. Me. Let's yeah. go back in. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Okay. But yeah, he had a knife on him. He recalled being alone in the children's bedroom, trying to provoke the ghosts to come at him, you know, come at me, bro. Oh, that's so dumb. Don't provoke the ghosts. They're people. They don't like, yeah, no, Oh, I he didn't understand that. that. I hate that. Yeah. But mm -hmm. after that, all he could recall was waking up in the emergency room. Oh, so he totally blacked out and didn't remember. Dude, you invited the, you cannot Come offer at yourself me, as a host. Yep. Because, of course, the bad entities are the ones that are going to jump on that yeah. first. Oh, sure. Yep. Oh. At that point, while talking to Hauser, the guy had started crying very hard and said it had ruined his life. Everyone thought he was crazy or thought he was trying to be famous and rich. But going on the show, he just wanted to finally tell his side of the story so people wouldn't claim he was insane. Mm -hmm. Right when they walked into the house together, the first thing the guy did was apologize for getting loud and trying to provoke the entities lingering in the home. Okay, well, that's nice. I'm he glad that he's like trying to make it right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hauser's conclusion was that he will never claim that a ghost had stabbed him, but there is something about the house that may prey on people who are mentally ill or not rooted in any kind of faith or protection. He also thinks that when you go into the home looking for good, you will get back good. Mm -hmm. But the opposite also will occur, so don't look for bad. Yep. The home reflects back whatever you are seeking from it. Also, the murders left an imprint on the home, like a fingerprint. Mm -hmm. And there you go. That's yep. the Velisca Axe Murder House. Oh, man, this is such oh. a good... It, it's... I've got... I can't... This is like last week where I can't talk. <laughs> I've got chills everywhere. It's so The story morbid. is so rich of all of course there's a ton of paranormal activity happening in this house seriously because nothing was resolved nothing so and and you no have justice. you have all these innocent lives that were taken from a mad person who may have been possessed by a demon it's definitely something dark was mm -hmm. influencing him to to commit these murders. And it was very planned. Obviously, it oh, had yeah. been very planned. And there's no answers because people got in the way and, you know, they disrupted the house. They weren't right. able. And forensic science at that time wasn't that great. But still, when you have all these hens in the hen house, like redecorating and touching everything. Oh, and my gosh. Away, I can't believe everybody came in. That was just that hurts my heart to I just know. ruin like 
someone's like resting place almost yeah. because they and all died gruesomely. They died gruesomely. But think of all the energy that mm-hmm. went into all of those people swarming in on that house and disturbing this fresh th- uh, fresh tragedy that just happened. So there's so much energy that went in and right. it's still there. So right. Yeah, I believe this place is a million percent haunted. And I absolutely agree with the caretaker. Obviously, he's been there for a long time. So he knows this house and he understands what's happening in here. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there's obviously a dark energy that's happening in this house. A million percent Mm -hmm. because a dark, very, very dark ritualistic thing happened. Right. So it absolutely left its energy imprint there. Absolutely. And then you have all these innocent souls that absolutely left their imprint there as well. So sad. And that sign of infinity, infinity, it's like, it's going to be here forever because there's no resolution. They can't leave. They're Mm -hmm. stuck. To me, it's like, we're stuck here. We're here infinitely. Ah, We can't go. I forgot to mention, I I just put my notes because I didn't want to repeat everything word for word from this one website but they said when they were doing their evps it seemed like the house was messing with them because Mm -hmm. they said reverend kelly as a suspect but then they also said more and they also said something else so they're like are they just naming all the suspects because that's they can do that because they won't say the one and they just it was like messing like i said yeah they like to kind of mess with them so yeah well the i think that dark energy is like I'm going to keep this going. That mystery. Yeah. <sighs> sad, so huh? tragic. So sad. Mm-hmm. So upsetting. Oh, my gosh. Well, if you guys <laughs> have strong feelings about this, the way that I seem to, <laughs> please you know email us at theominousstitch@gmail.com. If you guys have been there, we want to hear about it. Yeah, Let I us know. Tour. I do want to tour. Yeah. And you can also find us on all of the social medias. We're there all the time. You can see cool pictures and links. And if you want to know more about our story, you can jump over to podbean.com and check our page because that's where we link all of our show notes and everything that we talk about during this episode and prior episodes. There's also a really cool little button you can click to become a patron. It's so cool. It's so fun. We do do patron episodes. We do send our patrons things and we acknowledge you because we love you very much we love you and it makes us feel like we're seen and you guys are actually out there listening to Yay. us and it's fun we love having a community and we just want to keep building that community so please reach out to us whether you become a patron or you just want to drop by on social media or email and say hi we want to get to know you guys better um okay i am so <laughs> are you drained i'm drained now but we do have one more thing to do and so it's a stupid movie so <laughs> Let's go into movie time. It's movie time. (laughs) This week's movie is The Axe Murders of Velisca, released in 2016, IMDb rating of 4.1 stars, synopsis. The Axe Murders of Velisca is a ghost story based on the house where the notorious and still unsolved 1912 axe murders took place. Three outcast teenagers break into the house in search of answers, but discover something far beyond their worst fears. Free on Tubi. Yeah, that's the only way to see this movie, if you so choose, is free. (laughs) (laughs) Don't buy this movie. Don't buy this movie. Oy vey, this movie... Okay, so the one thing that I can say that's positive about it <laughs> okay. is they did pin the the reverend as the axe murderer. So they, yes, yes. Spoiler that's, alert. That's positive. They said, yeah, they were all about Reverend Kelly being the suspect. Yeah. The first thing that I got out of this was they loosely base it on the true story, so they have some they fabricate a few things that I don't like. Like I know it's for Hollywood. That's what Angela said. I was like, yeah. why aren't they using the true stories? Like, why aren't they going like based off Hollywood? Of- yeah. Like, they, oh, you know, stupid. they got to bend the story to fit whatever they're trying, what story they're trying that's to tell. True, story the story line. they're trying to tell is you have these teenagers, <laughs> quote unquote, because they look like they're in their thirties, yeah. but they're supposedly in high, high school. school. Yeah. Whatever. Boo. And so you have these teenagers that are going into the house. They all have some kind of tragic Thing that has happened to them that the house p- 
plays on. So mm-hmm. I understand why they had to get into the whatever the, of the kids, because uh, the house like manipulates them and uses that to get their energy and make them do whatever they want them to. Yeah. Black eyed kids. Black eyed kids. <laughs> I texted you that one point because when they're possessed, their yeah. eyes go black. And Even like, though black eyed like, kids. But then like with Dennis, the, the guy would look at them and go, what's wrong? And like their eyes are clearly black, but he, did he not see them? Like, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't see that so they were dumb. possessed. That was the stupid part it's too. So dumb. They, I mean, they tried to make this kind of cool and base off this why is, story. Why but. did we not like it? I mean, it. Ha- I, I kept asking myself the whole time. I'm like, why is this movie just kind of like, meh, <laughs> I don't like it. Um, because, I mean, it, it, it had a juicy had story. Elements, I guess. And it had, you know, all the it tropes. So, it of- felt like an, a bad oxygen movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I mean, for those had, who like oxygen, but you know, it, it, it had just, all the, it, it had all the tropes of, you know, a horror, a horror movie. But it was just over the top cheesy. Yeah. I didn't like it. There were, uh, yeah, there was no, nothing to, con- I feel like it just wasn't connecting to no. them. It was so like, yeah, just I can't everything believe you. is bad and nitty gritty yeah. and blah, blah, blah. My dad was a robber and he yeah, made there's, me do the, Yeah, like, there's no redeeming stupid. thing with any of these. Yeah, people. Yeah, I guess I, you can't I was connect just to turned anybody. off by them the whole time. Right. Turned off by all of them all of the them. whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was it was cheesy. It kind of like and it tied in the elements of like the bully, you know. Yeah. That kind of reminded me of it in a way, like and the slut shaming. Yeah. That was that, that was terrible. so unnecessary. That hurts my heart. Right? I, I hate that so when they much. do that when they throw that element in I'm like that's just so... it just kind of keeps that going like it, i don't like that yeah it dehumanizes yeah. women and i hate it yeah yeah so it was an unnecessary yeah. that it could have been a whole different kind of way but i guess they had to connect it because the the stillinger girl had a crush on the reverend that's what i was getting right yeah that was weird too that was weird so that's how that's why he she let him in I guess that was stupid. That was dumb. Yeah, but there Ugh. were, like you said, there's some, some tiny snippets of cool horror that you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? I just, and then he sees his mom. The the dentist guy sees his mom as and a ghost. Yeah, like, I'm like, mom, yeah, I can join <laughs> you. I see you. Yeah. Like, oh my oh, god, no. that just got over the top too. I think I didn't care about the characters, so therefore I just was like, meh, and I yeah. didn't care about what was happening to right. them. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel you. That's it. And then the ending was stupid. And the mirrors, the mirrors played a big role. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, come yeah. on. When they see themselves in the mirror, they're like, oh, oh I see who yeah. I am. And I'm, the house is possessing me or whatever. Yeah. I was yelling, like in my brain, <laughs> I was yelling at, um, what's the boy's name? Was it like Colin or something? I forgot. Already. I don't know. The, the main guy? The main guy, yeah. Caleb. Caleb. Okay. So in my brain, I was yelling at Caleb when he was trying to kill the girl, Jess. Yeah. He was trying to kill her and hit the ax was pointed backwards. I was like, you're not going to kill her oh, with bludgeon. the blunt. In- you know, that's how, but that's how, but the that's how it murders. Yeah. Yes. So now that like, now I know that that's how I get it, but I was like, they connected why that. is the ax backwards? <laughs> and I'm like, no. oh, so that it can break the mirror. Okay, fine. I get it now. I put it I all together. <laughs> <laughs> so but now that I understand that that's he, he yeah he's okay. the back of the axe for everybody Ugh, so this movie was meh yeah um, meh. Wasn't, I, ki- I had okay. a hard time paying attention to it I kept like yeah. playing games on my phone and not <laughs> <laughs> absolutely can stitch to it because I didn't want to pay attention right? to the movie I have a a confession. I watched maybe 15 minutes while I was waiting at an appointment for Uh my husband. (laughs) I was in the weight room for so long. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it on my phone. And I did because it was kind of loud in there. So I was like, "Eh, I'm just going to watch some of it here. Yeah. That's how, that's how great it is. Yeah. (laughs) So the four, yeah, I would give it like maybe a three and a half to a four. That's fair. Yeah, Where are you it giving two it? and a half. Two and a half, yeah. We're just like, Neh. I'm never going to watch it again. No. And it's it's free for a reason. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. So good. if you want to see a free, not very good movie <laughs> <laughs> that is very loosely based on what happened, yeah. uh, you can watch The Axe Murderers. Axe Murderers. Max Murderers. <laughs> I can't say it. The Axe Murders yep. of Velisca. Yep. Uh, Tubi. Tubi. You can totally stitch to it. Absolutely. If you need something, something in the background, in the background while you're doing other things. There you go. And you like to hear screaming. And 
I couldn't understand a lot of the yeah, words that Jess either. was saying because they were doing that weird like male female combined voice thing and then she's right. screaming and I'm like I don't know what you're yeah, saying what's happening here oh I have to have that's why I always put closed caption on oh oh I have to I'm have that to old school it. I have to have everything it doesn't matter what movie it is I have to have the cl- oh, closed caption so man that's how I was able to understand. sorry to end on such a bad note where we hate this movie but we've ended a lot of podcasts like that before we were like True I that. hate this movie you know funny the funny story is when I was watching this and I was telling my husband he's like why aren't you guys watching so I married an axe murder I'm like yeah that's a great movie but it's not a horror movie he's like I yeah know. it is so watch that movie instead yeah, because go ahead it's watch so that. much more fun so much better they do a really good job on that woman <laughs> woman woman yeah. hello girls make me horny on saturday morning <laughs> josie and those dear pussy cats or good memory say i don't know josie and those something pussy yep. cats i ordered a large jane hello hello <laughs> jane get me off this crazy thing called love, love. Okay, that's it. We're going to end on that. (laughs) Watch So I Married an Axe Murder instead. Have much more fun. Hey, way more fun. And until next time, we'll see you, Stitchers. See you, Stitchers. Uh